Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast here covering the care of souls with Harold Sinkville. We are, have, we've been blessed uh, several times here with uh, people, Matt Dampier, Gene Parr, and this week we have our good friend Kurt Vernon here. Kurt has just been uh, such a gift to the CSF community over so many years. Uh, some people who uh, attend his church where he pastors at Commonwealth City Church, uh, you know, we've been blessed, Kurt leading worship, all, all kinds of different things over the years. I mean, it's, it's countless, really, uh, all the different things and roles you, you've served. Around here over a lot of years, and so uh, just thankful to have him here talking about chapter five, sheep dogging and shepherding. So, I, Kurt, we'll just kick it off with you as you kind of read through this, thought through this, kind of some of the points that Harold's hitting here. What what's just some of the things that stuck out to you as you read this chapter? Yeah, man. First of all, thank you guys so much for mm-hmm. just the privilege to hang out here at this table with you all. And I was I was thinking about how uniquely punctual it was. You know, it's it's funny because when you listen to a podcast, you're just hearing what's going on in the moment and don't really normally mm-hmm. have much awareness mm-hmm. of what would be happening in the in the people's lives that you're listening to prior to. And just mm-hmm. even seeing the punctuality of the Father mm-hmm. in the way that these chapters kind of coincided with my own life and ministry, even now, mm-hmm. has been such a gift. And, you know, I've been in ministry a long time, about 20 years at this point. First my first job in ministry was at Lebanon United Methodist Church as the youth worship leader. Um, the average age of the congregation was well over 60, so youth worship leader wasn't a very important role, <laughs> but it was my yeah. first one, and yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Love those kids, love that community. And now 20 years later, I've gone from being worship guy and campus minister guy and all those things to now, for the past six or seven years, shepherding people in the context of a pastor hmm. um, at Commonwealth City Church. Meets right here on, on University of Kentucky's campus. Hmm. And the one of the first things that happened when I made that transition is I got terrified. Hmm. And I think rightly so. Hmm. The more I look back on it, I'm like, wait, I think there's good theological roots for being terrified yeah. of the fact that I'm leaning into something that's way out of my pay grade. Yeah. It is an utter impossibility for a broken human heart. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like these chapters even confirm that. Yeah. And that's why one of the first times I had before the Father by myself in prayer as a primary shepherd, vision caster of a community, I was telling the Lord, God, I, I don't know if I'm up for this. I don't think I've got it in me. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first things I kind of sensed in prayer that day was, Kurt, I have no use for a shepherd who's not a sheep first. Mm-hmm. And, oh man, even leaning into sheepdogging and shepherding, it was like, you know what? First and foremost, I'm a son. I am a sheep of the good shepherd. I am the one utterly in need, just as dependent as anybody I'm ever going to shepherd, love, um, the people that would, you know, consider me a a leader or or shepherd in their own lives. I'm only going to be as useful as my awareness of the fact that I'm useless without him. Yeah, yeah. Harold talks about that in multiple points where he just says, you know, and he said this in other chapters, but it's good to keep repeating that we can only we can only give what we've received. And so, you know, we as we learn and, and we're tutored under the tutelage of Jesus, slightly switching the metaphor, um, then we're able to teach. We're able to to lead as we've been led. But uh, but it starts it starts there. Um, yes. Yeah, you got it. You cannot get the the cart before the horse on that. You yeah. give away the Jesus you got. That's yeah. one thing I've always thought about. Like, mm. man, if I, especially if I'm going to share 
my faith. You know, we use that mm-hmm. expression in evangelism mm-hmm. often, but really it's just as just as practical, just as applicable in, in caring for souls. Is yeah. like, man, if I'm going to give away the Jesus, I'm going to share my faith. What is that faith? Yeah. You know, like what is my faith in? What is it rooted in? Mm. And yeah, I was the, the way that he encouraged, um, even for, I think especially those who are going to have a lot, the majority of their ministry is going to be one-on-one mm. or one-on small group relationship. Yeah. That acknowledgement that first and foremost, the greatest gift that I can give to my congregation, the greatest gift I can give to my wife and son mm-hmm. is to have a soul that's well cared for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because to you recognizing yourself, you are, you know, coram deo, as he says mm-hmm. here, of we are people before God. You recognize that about yourself that, hey, my ultimate responsibility, my ultimate, the thing I've been called to steward is my own soul and I'm before God. And then, but then directly linked to that then is, uh, you know, part of what God's called me to do is to care for other people's souls, the souls of people around me, your wife, your son, uh, mm-hmm. people in your small group, your roommates, those those kinds of things. And so that, that's why I think this book is so important uh, for people, especially on our staff, who may not think, okay, I don't want to do vocational ministry long term. But, but long term, just as a Christian, you're called to care for people's souls. And so having that sense of identity, that sense of purpose, uh, to understand what that entails. I, I think this this is a, this is not just a book for staff, though it is a book for staff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a lifelong book for people. Yes. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And I yeah. think even that concept to be called away from ministry, to make sure that I, if I ever make that statement, mm-hmm. I had better know in the back of my mind that what I mean is what I'm getting paid for. Mm-hmm. Because to be called away from ministry would be the only way I can be called away from ministry would be to be called away from human interaction altogether, hmm. which will never happen. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. going to exist in this world. Yeah, um, for the rest of my life, I will be in ministry. I know. Well, it's funny because uh, I've been I've been kind of shocked at how even my nine to five. If you, you know, that's not actually my hours, but that's yeah. the expression. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think all everybody at CSF knows this is, you know, yeah. this is not a nine to five type of deal. Yeah, right. that eleven a.m. to midnight schedule. Yeah. You yeah, but you know, my nine to five, I guess, is technically pastoring. Yeah, but I've noticed, I, I've been shocked at how important it has been for me to see. Um, uh, people in our community make fun of me a lot because I love Speedway. Hmm. I love it. I think they have the best <laughs> coffee in the city. I'm so sorry because I love Sal, who owns Coffee Commonwealth. Nick and Rica own uh, Brevity Coffee. I've got some friends in this town who I hear make great coffee, but I only like coffee with creamer. And so my favorite (laughs) coffee shop in the city is Speedway Super America. And I've I've felt a deep sense of calling to make sure that I'm shepherding the staff there. If I'm going to visit there repetitively Mm. and get gas every couple days, Mm. then like... I shepherd there. Hmm. And so if I ever stop being paid by a church or an organization that looks like ministry, hmm. my calling to shepherd the city of Lexington, hmm. shepherd the staff at the Speedway I go hmm. to, shepherd the, the people at the front desk at Planet Fitness when I go there to work out, yeah, like that calling to shepherd souls has very, very little to do from heaven's perspective with where my paycheck comes from. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's interesting thinking about that. So my dad, uh, you know, quite the eccentric person, and and I didn't grow up with him. Uh, you know, we became friends as, a, as adults. But when I was at my dad's funeral, uh, you know, was some of the people that came to the funeral, and there weren't a lot of people who came, but I mean, there were maybe a hundred or so. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, 
but a couple of the people who came were from the the local uh, gas station that that set out on the highway really? in Cynthia, where I'm from, and it was because he just loitered there and <laughs> and and just befriended the staff, uh, talked to them, yeah. asked some questions about their life, told them about his life, and they came. And they were like, man, your dad was so just attentive to us and kind to us, and and would just hang out in the the, the store and talk to us. And so um, now he, at least in his earlier years, wasn't doing so because uh, of any. Christian convictions, though later in his life he did come under some conviction about about some things. But um, but that was that was a, a church of sorts for him. And I think I think for us, wherever we go, uh, we have the opportunity to have that type of influence. If if we'll open our eyes to it and say, "Okay, Lord, you've shepherded me. How can I shepherd the situation with you know people that we that we have in our lives?" I, mean, I go to Subway a lot, and so I, I love uh, Anand and Gary. The 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 um, the owners down down the street yeah. here and so just how do I shepherd caring for them and and hopefully you know giving them a chance to maybe someday hopefully know Jesus so that's awesome yeah it's Gary that's yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I've got a Gary at Speedway too he's oh, the, <laughs> he's the, if you're ever there in the middle of the night after an, a CSF event you hop into the Speedway here on campus around two a.m. you'll probably see Gary he's been there twenty something years wow and he's he's realized normally that when I come in early in the mornings I'm on my way to the altar yeah for prayer of some sort. And he now gives me regular updates on how to pray for him. Uh-huh. And That's I, cool. I've loved it. He's like, I think I need to make a plan for how to approach the judgment seat. Hey, All right. on, on page 123, <laughs> thinking about this uh, sheepdogging and, and shepherding, uh, there's that Evelyn Underhill piece that he quotes. And then to summarize it in that uh, paragraph, he says, What enthralls me about this picture of a dog in the service of his master are three things. First, the dog can't possibly know or even begin to grasp the whole of the shepherd's intent. Second, he's not self-assertive, but only and entirely serves as an extension of the shepherd's heart and directive will. Uh, he is the agent of another mind. And then skipping down a couple sentences. Finally, despite the frustration caused by the sheep, the dog's tail is always wagging because he's completely captivated by his love for the shepherd. Yes. And I, I just love those three things. I mean, one that... You know what? We're not going to know. Like that sheepdog cannot know the full intent of what the sh- what the shepherd is doing, but he knows what the shepherd has called him to do, and so he does it, and he does it faithfully. Does he have some sense of ah, the shepherd wants to lead him in this vague direction or take him down this path? Yes, he does have some sense, just like we have some some sense, and probably and more than that, even of what yeah. God wants for people. But we don't know exhaustively what God has for people's lives. So there's a sure. there's a humility element that we just depend on God. I don't know what you have for these people's lives, but I'm going to I'm going to trust that that you do and I'm just going to try and push them down the path where you're going. And that and that second part of humility of saying this isn't me cooking up good stuff for people. This is this is me saying don't listen to me, listen to Jesus. And 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 I often tell people like listen, if I've misheard something, if I've misapplied scripture, if I've done this, then then even in prayer I'll say, "Lord, please, please I beg you, just let them hear from you, not from me." But if I'm echoing what you're trying to teach them and tell them and Holy Spirit, you can make that plain, the scriptures help make that plain, then go. And then that last part of just the the dog's tail wagging, of just looking looking at the the master and going, "Hey, I'm I'm doing what you want." Like, you know, and I know you love me. I know you love me even when I maybe get off track. But man, when I get to direct your sheet where you're going, man, it just makes me so happy. And so I, I just love that that imagery. Yes. There's the yeah. moment I was talking about it earlier this week with somebody, the parable where there's um, stewards that are, you know, they're given talents to do something with. And when 
At the conclusion, the two stewards that use their talents well, one turns five into ten, another two into four, and then what the master says to them just struck me this week. Enter into the joy of mm. your master. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That like my my joy is just a borrowed joy. Yeah. Like my my joy is always vicarious. Mm. It's never internal. It's always a vicarious joy yeah. of joining his joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's something about that recognition that like I love the way she compared like the sheepdog is only happy when the master's happy. Yeah. There's no happiness apart from him. Yeah. You know, there's a, a moment in Psalms where David says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abounds. Mm. In essence to say, the world's best efforts, best efforts to, to find an alternative joy. Like I have more delight than others do when they're partying festive and have reached the peak of their own achievement mm. of enjoyment. Like, mm. You are my joy. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And another piece in here that I just want to draw our attention to because I thought it was so good is on 117, uh, that bottom part where he quotes Gregory the Great. And uh, he's got Gregory the Great there in that, that uh, bottom, bottom paragraph on 117. Mm-hmm. He says, That man is an, in, an enemy, that man is an enemy to his Redeemer, who on the strength of the good work he performs desires to be loved by the church rather than by him. Indeed, a servant is guilty of adulterous thought if he craves to please the eyes of the bride when the bridegroom sends gifts to her by him. And you're just like, Oh, man, Lord. How often do we in ministry, and not just we, me, crave the attention, the approval, the pats on the back, the, hey, Brian, you're doing a great job, and versus looking like the sheepdog, he doesn't care if the sheep like him or not in a way. What he cares is, am I doing what the shepherd tells me? But but we get this, or I get it uh, all too often backwards. I'm like, man, I, I look for other places for approval, um, But but and I think there's just such, and it's a... These two images overlap of what Gregory the Great saying in the sheepdog story, but man, what a what a powerful rebuke of man. This is adulterous. Like the bride is Jesus's, not ours. So don't go craving her attention. You crave, you know, his attention. Yes, that comparison of the best man wrecked me in mm. a good way when mm. when he kept we kept referring in that same yeah, section. Yeah, he keeps yeah. referring like we the shepherds in essence. This go between like yeah you. You help prepare the way. You do everything you can. But ultimately, a best man trying to get the bride's attention is not a good friend. Yes. Like yeah. that's that that was so clear to me. Mm-hmm. Just that that evidence. Like I almost had this image of, I know I preach a lot of weddings. I love preaching mm-hmm. weddings. One of my favorite things yeah. to do in ministry. And so many times I get, I get to have that front row seat up there in the front to the bride walking down and I, I get to stand behind this groom and oftentimes don't really kind of get to the side just so I can see him cry. There's yeah. just something about watching a grown man cry in public. <laughs> it just stirs yeah. my heart. Yeah. But I, I had that imagery of what if she was walking down the aisle and instead mm. of locking eyes with the groom yeah. was locking eyes with another and it mm. like made my heart hurt. Yeah. And I yeah. thought, Lord, how often if when my concern of leaving a stage mm. or leaving a ministry opportunity is did they like me? Mm. Did mm. they leave thinking about the name of Kurt or the name of mm. Jesus? Yeah. And it's it's so simple. 
And yet it's the thing that my heart is probably going to need to be reminded of most often. Yeah, yeah. And same thing with whatever it is, leading a small group, uh, mm-hmm. a coffee meeting with a student. It's not just on stage, yeah, so that's right. a very clear you're example right. of it. Mm-hmm. But it's like when I leave a meeting, did they see me clear? Did they like me better? Or did I did I leave them with something as best as I can in my own frail ways, uh, leave them some uh, image of Jesus in a clear way, enable him to see him clear and kind of just get me, get me out of the way. Uh, you know, one of the hangups I think that we have, uh, in ministry and, and even, you know, he talks about even on that next page in one eighteen about just the failure and restoration of Peter. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's really important for all of us to hear, uh, certainly at, at almost 51, I'm not immune to it, uh, that we need to hear that we are not uh, useful to God in ministry and whatever, and being useful to God's even. I mean, God can use whoever He wants. You know, Rich Mullins, I know we were talking about Rich earlier. Rich is like, it's no big deal to get used by God. God, God used Pharaoh. He can do. He can use whoever He wants to use. He's like, the big deal is to be loved by God. Now that's huge because we're not just servants; we're sons. Then, mm-hmm. and but you know, a lot of times we talk about you know we think we're unfit for ministry because of. Um, you know, maybe sin in our past or whatever. And, and certainly sin's a serious thing and certainly mm-hmm. sin does get in the way and, and uh, current active sins in our lives uh, do hinder us because yes. we're, we're trapped in this. And so we're, we can't offer that freedom to others. Yes. Um, and, and at least we can't offer it to others in as strong and as deep as a way as if we, as if, if we weren't tangled up in those things. Now, certainly there's plenty of stories and lots of people would say, hey, you know what? Actually, the guy who led me to Christ, I didn't know this, but he was having an affair or, or whatever. Um, but it's like God is still able to work through those things and it doesn't negate what, what Christ did in your life through that very sinful person. But when somebody is walking in true freedom, they can introduce people more. You know, I, I heard... John Piper once, because one of the fears I have for our staff, even as I was reading this uh, chapter, I made this note. John Piper, who I don't often quote, given his <laughs> you know Calvinistic ways, but but I do I do like John in a number of ways as well. But but he was at Passion speaking one year, and he said there are so many people in this room who God's calling to overseas missions, God's calling to uh, to be pastors, to be you know whatever it is, and he said you won't go because you had sex with your girlfriend last month. And he's like, because you don't understand that God can forgive, God will forgive, He does forgive, but you are caught, and we get into this some in the next chapter, you are caught in guilt, you're particularly caught mm-hmm. in shame, shame. Yep. Um, and and so we, we, we think that God's only going to use perfect people in ministry, and so I think a lot of our staff don't realize that, hey, yes, I did look at pornography, you know, yeah. six months ago, I, mean, I was delivered or whatever. Yeah. I, I've been, you know, wrestling with that throughout my college experience yeah. and whatever the sin or shame is. And we think, well, God can't use me, but he's going, look at Peter. You know, Peter, one of the worst sins you could be caught in, in terms of just outward, straightforward denial of Jesus. Yes. And yet God forgave him, restored him, used him. And so I just, I underlined that because I thought, man, I'm sure a lot of our staff, because I know I have felt that with sin in my own life. God, you can't use me. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know if that resonated with you at all. I think the the strange reality of the kingdom is not that God can use broken things. It's that God only uses broken hmm. things. Hmm. Like he, obviously, he's using things that are broken and he's in the process of fixing. Mm-hmm. But I think there is something for for the person who 
Like one thing I've noticed with the father is the closer I get to him and the more I love him, the more sin hurts. So while I may be making progress and closer proximity to the Lord, my sin hurts so much more. And so there is, you know, which like you said, we'll get to in the next chapter, but that, that I've noticed there's that gap between often when I've gone to the father with confession of sin and a removal of ultimate guilt still remaining in that shame. And one thing I've, I think this is probably the greatest single gift as far as my own intellectual journey into understanding grace has been like that for me, I know, I know that the enemy does not care enough about me to want to hurt me personally. He would only, he just wants to exploit me to, to limit what I do for the kingdom. He wants to exploit me to hurt my father. And so when it comes to sin and shame, to confess, and not just to confess because it was wrong, but to ask God for the gift of hating sin, Hmm. not ceasing sin, but hating sin. Hmm. If I hate sin, ceasing will come along with it. If I cease sinning, I might still remain in love with it. So Hmm. asking the Father to learn to hate sin. Hmm. And for me, that's been such a gift in in that process of saying, Lord, like I am. I hate those, the fact that some of those things will linger and remain, and yet you only use broken things. Yeah. That's who you are because it puts your grace on display yeah. all the more beautifully. Well, and, and even that, that hating sin piece, I, I think a part of that, and, and this is, again, going back to Piper, you know, I've heard him and others, he may have borrowed this from Jonathan Edwards or some such figure, but yeah. being uh, seized by the power of a great affection, you know, yes. being seized by the power of a great affection of, like, as you sit before your father, mm-hmm. as you sit before Jesus, as you have the inworking of the spirit, and you recognize, like, wow, this God died for me. Yes. wretched as I am, he died for me. He loves me. Like yes. you start to realize, man, the beauty of that. And you start to fall in love with that beauty and your heart is seized by that power of a great affection. And now yes. you're going, man, I, I'm in love here. Like I am mm-hmm. in love, you know, not in love, in love, you know, mm-hmm. rom-com type stuff, but, but, but in love. And now I don't want these things. You know, yes. I think I think there is a, a part to hating sin, but I think one of the the ultimate base of that is being seized by the power of a great affection. That's it. I think I think it was a I think it was a Puritan named Chalmers. I was reading about it last week, mm. and they called it the expulsive power mm. of a better affection. That's or something. A, expulsive, and I thought that's such a. It was almost such a violent word that it like I was like, yes, that's yeah. what. And even I know lately for me, this is. Probably a little bit more, even like just my own journey of of uh, pursuing the Father's heart is instead of like recently when I was facing temptation, I felt like the Lord invited me instead of being like Kurt, say no to sin. It was almost like I had this whisper in my heart, like, "Hey, Kurt, hey, like, you you know that's not what you really want. Hmm. Like, stop faking it. Hmm. You know what you really want hmm. is to live a life of close proximity to me. Like, hmm. what you want hmm. is to taste and see that I'm good." which doesn't take away the desire of sin, it overpowers it with a greater desire. Hmm. And yeah. so it's almost as if I get to admit that my new self, hmm. the, like who I am in Christ, which he, he does such a good job of bringing out yeah. throughout, like this reminder of who I am as a son, not a slave. All I really have to do is say, oh, that, that desire for sin hmm. is actually a lie. Hmm. Like that's the way scripture consistently calls it. I just forget that in the yeah. middle of temptation. Yeah. Like 
I don't just have to say no to sin. It's like, no, that desire is a lying desire. And what my heart craves at a root so deep that I don't actually have personal access to it because mm-hmm. the Spirit rooted it there is I desire to make it my aim to please Him. Mm. And that is, that's just much more effective than an accountability partner, even though those are great. Yeah. And that's much more effective than regular routines of yeah. holiness, even though those are helpful. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's not to put those in uh, opposition to one another. I mean, the, a good yeah, you're right. a good accountability partner, someone is going to help you live into that and to see that, and not just oh, I tell them the bad things and they say don't do it again, but they're like, hey, yeah. Kurt, here's your ultimate desire. Let me help you see that. Or you know, one of the things I appreciated that he talks about here is we need each other. We need each other to speak the words of the Lord into one another's lives. One of the reasons we do staff care groups at CSF. It's one of the reasons that I think working here is such a gift is we do have one another to encourage, to remind, to speak the words of, hey, you have been forgiven. You, you are a son. You are a daughter uh, of the mm-hmm. king. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, for us, one of the things, thinking about 127 here, because I, I want to make sure we hit on this justification piece of, you know, he says in, in uh, the first full paragraph on 127, but justification is not just central in preaching and teaching. It's also central for the care of souls mm-hmm. is because, yes, we have been justified and we have been declared righteous what jesus did on the cross for our sins for my sin not just the sins of the world but for my sin um we we need that that is our ultimate message we need to hear and uh, it's not just for brian marshall to share from a stage or kurt Vern to share for us from a stage this is one of the gifts and, and the healing bombs we take to people out on the battlefield i mean we are like world war ii medics or whatever it is you know whatever war it is we are out there tending to people who are hurting, wounded, mortally so, and and going and saying, hey, I have this balm for you to say you have been justified. Uh, I, I think it's a it's it's an enormous tool, not just to preach about, and it's not just a theory, but it is literally like what people need. Yes, the constant. There's one thing that's amazed me and after years and years of ministry is how I seem to grow into need for the gospel rather than out of it. Mm. Mm. You know, there's almost like this assumption, like, oh, y'all grow into these deeper truths or something. It's like, no, I just keep finding myself cycling back through the gospel, back through the simple but like unbelievably profound reality that God died. He became my sin, died the death I should have died, mm. stole my cross from me in essence, and then gave me credit for his righteousness. Mm, yeah. The, the double exchange that yes. he talks about here. Of, yes. yes. Of that it's, we, he takes our sin, but the exchange is we get his righteousness. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, amazing transformation type stuff. Mind boggling, though you can try to make some sense of it in some uh-huh. different ways. And I think you, you can. God's given us minds to think through these things, but uh, it is, it's nothing short of miraculous. Uh, there, you know, I, I, uh, I know, Kurt. I know we got to wrap up here. Any, I, I want to make sure I'm not missing anything that uh, that we've you, you would want people to see, or uh, any any just final point you want to make. Yes, I'd, I'd say one thing I kept coming back to as I was reading this chapter, and I can't even remember if he quoted Galatians too, but it has become the central theme of my ministry. That one simple verse, Galatians two twenty. So taking the role of justification. Um, in the life of a shepherd, the way that he 
really dives into the beauty of what it meant for Jesus to be the lamb of sacrifice and also the scapegoat. Uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah. he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives instead of me. Mm-hmm. Paul says that in Galatians yeah. 2.20. And I, I love to replace everything that I do in ministry there. Like, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who meets with the student, but Christ within me who gets to meet with the student. Hmm. In the meeting of a student that I do in the flesh, I do by faith. Hmm. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, it's no longer I who like deals with staff tensions, hmm. but it's Christ within me who deals with staff tensions. Hmm. In the meeting, the dealing with staff tensions that I have to take care of in the flesh, I do so by faith. Like I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who loves my spouse or figures out how to love on the folks at the gas station. It's Christ within me. Hmm. No longer I, but Christ the ultimate default of what it means to be um, make sure that I'm never a shepherd who's not a sheep first. Wow, that's 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 beautiful, and it, it does bring kind of new a new angle on my prayers of like Jesus, will you please deal with Jack Teagarden? You know, um, you know, Jack's in, in our room here helping us record as we record this. But uh, but yeah, no, it's good. Kurt, man, thanks so much. Deeply appreciative of you. There's so much good stuff, you know, I, that we didn't get to cover. I, I love the stuff at the end. I hope staff really even push through and focusing on some of the end of the chapter of like the remittance of sins that we're not just sin isn't merely forgiven but it's also remitted it is in remittance like a cancer that has once attacked us and was going to kill us it would kill us if it wasn't for jesus uh it is in remittance and so i i just yeah lots of good stuff here uh thanks for listening and uh